I love New Year's Eve. Um, contrary to how my outer you know, display of emotions may be giving you the message right now, I actually really do love New Year's Eve. I love the whole spirit. It just feels like you get to this point of the year, and, and maybe I can even say this collectively as a country, as a community, 2017, like we are that Nintendo game that all of a sudden got a little messed up, and now we can take it out, blow it out, and put it back in, it all is well again. It's a time of reset and renewal where we all get better and bigger. New year, new you. Amen? Amen. I actually tried saying that to my four-year-old the other day when I was releasing him from his timeout for the 72nd time this year. Just a gentle new year, new you, bud, right? He started talking about cow butts and stuff. So I know it didn't really land that well with him, but I do love New Year's Eve. I love resolutions. And the reason why I love resolutions is because if you actually pause to consider what a resolution is and what it's, what's being said inside of it is resolutions are like these intrinsic affirmations that you and I both know that there is more inside of us that is yet to actually seep out. We come to this moment of the year where we are collectively aware that there are things inside of us, dreams that have yet to fully develop pursuits that have yet to really take off, challenges that have yet to really been taken on. We have these things in us and we make resolutions because we know that not all of us has fully come out yet. We're only halfway there. And so we collectively have this time and this spirit and this taste for reset and renewal. And what is amazing about that is that that's not a modern, it's not a millennial thing. That has been going on for thousands of years now. Because while every year there's a different year that we are entering into, on December 31st at this time, five hours from now, um, we consistently are leaving December for January. Does anybody know where the name January comes from? Who said that? I can't see back there. I need you to state your name, sir. Brad Herman? Janice the Roman God, you say, very good, Brad. Now, you want to come up here and take the rest of my message, or you want to stop right there? <laughs> this is who Brad's talking about. Janus, the Roman god. 125 B.C., which is about 125 years prior to the birth of Christ, the Romans, like you and I, they also were kind of experiencing, at this time of the year, a sense, a desire for reset, renewal, that longing that things could be better. There has to be something that has to change. Where I am is no longer where I can be. I need something new. I need to turn the page on my own story. So they started putting all these emotions together and connecting all these dots. And they said, well, it's actually perfect when we think about how we're going to name and articulate what this season is like. Because we have a Roman god, Brad says, whose name is Janus, that actually represents the totality of what this experience is like. Janus was the Roman god of transitions, of beginnings and endings. Births and burials, graduations and divorces, leaving and finding. He was known as the spirit of the doorway, or often just referred to as the door. No matter what you were doing in your life, if you had one story starting after another story had stopped, you would look to Janice to oversee your transition, to make sure that your passage was clear and safe and sound and all was going to be firing on all kinds of cylinders. Janus was the Roman god that you would go to for that sort of thing. 
And so that's where our name January comes from. And in Rome, at the front of the city, there was a temple that they named after Janus and for Janus, named Janus Geminus. Now, what's interesting when you consider uh, a God who oversees the beginning and endings of all things, inevitably, that God then becomes the most powerful God of all time. If you control when something starts and when something stops, you become the God of all gods because you have all the power. Anybody who's ever been in a relationship with somebody where they decide when you're going to do what you're going to do and when you're not going to do it, you know that it's because they have all the power. The same is true with this Roman God right here. All the beginnings and the endings were tied up and underneath Janus. Now, in that image that I just showed you of the Janus uh, God, the reason why he has two heads on this one body is that one is looking forward at what's to come and one is staring backwards at what they just left. This God is looking both ways at both times. He's always in that place of transition. Now, at the temple, if you were a Roman citizen, the most frequent use for the temple was during times of war. Why? Because that's when empires would, back then and today, the biggest transition, the biggest change that you'd be undergoing, the biggest chance for acquiring a new story would be through war, through battle, through bloodshed. And so soldiers would come through there. They would sacrifice. There used to be these big doors on the outside, and the soldiers would walk through the city, and they'd come out here, and they'd come out on the other side, and on the other side, they'd head out to the rural part of town where the battles were all waiting for them. They'd come into the temple, sacrifice for Janus, and then head out to war. Now, historians that study this temple and study the history of Janus and the cult worship of this God, they noted that in all of the centuries of Roman rule and reign, well, let me tell you this first, actually. These doors that were on the outside, these doors were closed during times of peace, but they were always open in times of war. Now, let me go to where I was going to go. Historians will tell us that in all the years of Roman rule and reign, there were only three times that these doors were actually closed. To be a part of the Roman Empire was to be always at war. You were always heading out to battle. You were always picking fights. You were always taking more land. You were always stepping on other people's toes. Moms would stay up late in anxiety, not knowing if they'd see their sons again. Dads would work the overtime shift trying to figure out how they too could contribute to the war effort. Constant anxiety. Constant feeling like you have hit rock bottom. Constant feeling like there's not really a sound way forward. Constant feeling like you are being tossed and turned in the chaos of it all. That's what the Romans experienced. My question that I would like for you to consider as you think back on 2017, the year we just went through, does it feel like the temple of war in your life, those doors have also been open at all times? Like you've experienced that sense of loss or anxiety or the heaviness has kind of just followed you from one place to another place or from one person to another person. Like the doors there never did close for peace in your life. You longed for stability. You longed for a season where you could kind of just do your thing and feel good. Be at peace. Feel okay. Maybe the war for you was a relational one, where you just were relationally tangled up with somebody else and you never could figure out how to make that thing work. 
And so as Christian said, like you are entering into the end of this year feeling fatigued, exhausted, like you don't have much left. Or maybe your war this past year, the one that you felt like you were constantly in, was an internal one. You, you thought that this would be the year that you would come full circle and learn how to love yourself. And yet here you are again, making that same resolution, hoping that this year you can actually accept who you are and celebrate the way that God has created you to be. Maybe this past year it's a job. I know from talking with a lot of you, there are many Sunday nights where you leave here feeling the heaviness and the anxiety of knowing you're going to have to wake up tomorrow morning and go back to that place with those people doing that thing. I also know for many of you that it's anxiety of leaving here having nothing to go back to the next morning. No job to clock in at. No paycheck to be expected. Not sure where the next meal is going to come from. Romans lived in this crisis constantly of the chaos, the heaviness of the angst. Can you imagine the toll that that would take? Always being at war, always striving, always straining, always not sure of what is going to come next, what the cost of what's next will end up being. I bring all this up because it's fascinating to me. John, when he writes his gospel, he writes it from the city of Ephesus, and Ephesus at his time was really the center of Roman power. It was one of the Roman cities of all Roman cities. And so it was seeped in Roman culture. It was saturated in Roman uh, understandings of gods and religion and how the whole world operated. And so John writes his gospel, his story of Jesus, to a people who don't understand the Jewish background as much, to a people who are steeped in Roman understandings of the world. And he writes about this moment in Jesus' life where uh, he places it right here in John 10. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. Anybody know what the festival of dedication is? Hanukkah. Jesus was celebrating Hanukkah. It was winter. You guys thought he would celebrate his own birthday, didn't you? It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colony. So Jesus, says John, is in this moment where he is walking with people. He's approaching this time of the year where collectively there are people who are experiencing a longing for renewal, a longing to press reset, a longing to leave the war that they were in behind them and experience something bigger, better, more expansive, more healthy, a better future that they've been fighting for the entire year. That's the time of the year that he's entering into, is the middle of winter, the middle of darkness, where it's cold, where we don't want to leave our homes. And he has this moment where Jesus is walking with Romans, he's walking with Jews, and he's walking with people who are very much aware of what it's like to walk through Janus' door to experience the door of the Romans and go out to war, who have lost friends to that door, who lost lovers to that door. He speaks into the midst of these people's anxiety, and he says something that they would never forget. He says four words. I am the door. See, I've read that line thousands of times in my life, and 
is a great image, right? I mean, it's just, okay, it is what it is. But you take that piece and you place it in the Roman story and you understand the significance inside of this thing. Jaws would have dropped. Shock and awe would have fallen over the people. And it only would have gotten crazier when they heard what he said next. Not only is he the door, he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and he will find pasture. Jesus, what are you saying when you say this? For people who have known what it's like to go inside of Janus, to go in and go out and fight for power, Jesus says, if you go in, I will send you out and you'll find peace. You'll find pasture. In Janus, you sacrifice for the war. In Jesus, you are spared from having to go to war. In Janus, you are blessed for the battle, but in Jesus, you bury the battles behind you. The doors of Janus are open for war, but they're closed for peace. And what Jesus here says is that my door will always be open to you, but only for peace and not for war. On the other side of this door is the pasture. Do you want it? See, i got to be honest with you. When I think about pasture, I think about scenes like this. And I think about scenes like that. I'm not in a place right now where I could say that I am spiritually healthy enough to tell you what it is like to live in the pasture of Jesus. I'm not in a place where I could just, you know, recite for you all the different experiences of what it's like to actually step into the door of Jesus and find the peace and stability and freedom that we've all been longing for. I can't do that for you tonight. What I can do for you, what I will tell you is that my entire year, 2018, I sat down to do some resolutions the other day to add to a long list of what do I need to do, what do I need to add to my life, what do I need to subtract from my life, and I just had this sense where it's not about what you need to do, you need to start answering the question of why you need to do anything. Like, where are you trying to actually go? And the answer is pasture, to that place of enoughness. The place of stability, where the treasures of Christ are not just spoken about on Sundays, not just pontificated about on Facebook, but you and I, we know them from looking in one another's eyes. You are in the pasture, I can tell. Oh, you know what it's like to live free. You know what it's like to leave your burdens behind you. That's what I'm setting out after this year. And the gift of Jesus is that for the people who went to the temple of Janus, they had to sacrifice if they were going to be blessed when they went out to war. Jesus says that he is the sacrifice. And what he experiences is blood, we get to taste as wine. Are we actually drinking of that wine? Are we actually experiencing the good gift of Christ? I don't have a five-point lesson for how you can make your resolution stick. I think you would all puke if I tried to give you one. But... My point is that I do want us all to consider this year, as we do sit down and we think about the renewal and the reset and that longing for newness that maybe I'm projecting, but I feel in my life, and I like to think one or two of you feel in yours. Whatever you are stepping into, whatever practice you are taking you on, is it bringing you closer to the pasture? Or do you keep going through the temple of Janus, entering into more wars that you don't belong in?
taking on more anxiety that you don't deserve. Well, Christ experienced his blood, you and I taste his wine. And my prayer is that in 2018, we would drink deeply. And we would experience that joy and that freedom. Will you pray with me? Christ, you are good, you are holy, and we are grateful. You are the door. God, teach us what it looks like to actually walk through you, take on your life, your spirit, your heart for the world, your heart for us. God, help us to live free. We don't want to go to war anymore, God. We don't want to push and pull our way through our days. We want to find pasture instead. And we trust that in you that can be found. Christ be our guide. We love you. In Christ's name, all God's children, we say together. Amen. I love Matt's message tonight, and I think for me, I look back on 2017, and I think on so many levels, personally and in our community, in Minneapolis, in our country, in the world, there's a there's been a lot of angst. I feel like I've been carrying a lot of angst. It's felt chaotic and messy. I was thinking, Matt, when you were talking, that it's kind of the human condition. And so often in the middle of that, we do walk up to the wrong door. We don't knock on the right door. We don't step through the door that we all know in our hearts because we've had glimpses, right, of those moments of peace that we've only experienced through Christ. But somehow it's really hard to stay in that. That's a great resolution. And I think it's one that we need each other. We need to grow and move and be in the church and holding that up. Because Christ is the door. When we step through that door, we do experience a peace that passes understanding, a peace that has nothing to do with our circumstances because we will always have challenging, messy circumstances. But what a joy it's been when I think about the year we've had together as a community and the door that we kept stepping through and the messiness and the challenges and how every Sunday night we walked away and went, yes, we're at the door, the door of life and peace. And it's been amazing to do that together. And so when we come together on Sunday nights and we practice communion, we take the bread and we dip it into the cup, we're reminded that it's through Jesus, through his blood, that we get to drink the wine. And that it brings us something beyond anything we could hope or imagine. And so on the night before Jesus died, he sat at a table with his community and he broke the bread and he gave thanks to his father above and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this and remember me. And he took the wine and he poured it into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. When you drink from this cup, remember me. And so when we come forward and we think about restarts and resolutions and who we want to be, 
we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, we have a chance to glimpse and experience that peace that comes through Jesus. So during the music, we invite you to do just that. Come as you are, take the bread and dip it into the cup. We have gluten-free right in the center here, people on both sides. So together, let's stand and pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever.